Well, good morning, everybody. We always have a little Old Testament in our uh, morning service because we have the exodus <laughs> of the kids. I had a super pleasant surprise this morning, uh, and that is that uh, one of the more youthful members of our body, though her age may not reflect it, is Margaret. Where is Margaret? Where is she? There she is. You guys, we prayed for Margaret. She's on the back row. Go ahead, stand up, Margaret, because you can, come on, don't be shy. There's, I know. Margaret, Margaret, uh, before you clap, you can clap, but she's here, uh, took a really, really bad fall in her house when she awoke in the middle of the night, thought she was downstairs, actually she was in her loft, and walked off the loft. And uh, she shattered her leg and other things. And so she's recovered, she's back, and so we're super thankful to have her. So way to go. We're glad you're here. We're really glad you're here. She's getting around, and that's just good news. Uh, I noticed uh, last week when I, uh, I started off you know, my, my message, I talked about this, this bike wreck that I had. If you were here, then, you know, you'll know if you weren't, it doesn't matter. But uh, I'd never actually finished the story, you know, what actually happened. Because several people came up afterwards and said, well, were there any rocks in the grass that you landed, you know, or whatever? And so I, I thought I'd just tell you that, no, it's totally anticlimactic. I took a big digger. But I, I think what's funny about it is, if you can imagine, because I'm kind of like circus-sized, you know? <laughs> um, and so when I go over my handlebars... It's not, it's a funny thing, uh, you know, because you just picture, you know, my feet are like eight feet up, uh, you know, anyway, and then, you know, the bike does the ghost ride off into the distance, and anyway, everything was fine, so just to clear that up, uh, we're going to be, uh, now we're in our series on Acts, started there a couple weeks ago, looking at the second half of Acts and how God is moving the church and growing the church and helping the, the leaders of the church realize and re-realize who Jesus was and what he called them to do. And as this uh, uh, organism that is the church, this living thing that is following Christ is moving out, Acts is the story of that. And the first half is the story of uh, really the, the leaders of Jerusalem, the first part of those people the first part of those believers kind of figuring out the, these beginning steps. But the second half is where they start to really go out. And that's what we looked at last week. You know, they went to Antioch uh, because there was persecution in Jerusalem. Well, some stayed in Jerusalem, and we're going to see some of that today. But right now in, in Acts part two, which starts around chapter 11 or so, the church starts to go out and move around the world. And so that's, that's kind of where we're stepping in at this point. And what I want to do, if you will, turn to Acts 12, and we'll put it up here as well. But if you have your Bible, go over there. And just to set this up a little bit, this passage, it's a a short story within the the whole book of Acts. It's one episode of something that's happening. And it has what I think is tragedy. It has humor. Humor. Uh, It has for us a depiction of what the early church was like, but underneath all of it, underneath this whole story and the whole book of Acts, everything that Luke is saying is that God is going to prevail. 
the gospel, the good things of Jesus that, that came through him to our world are going to prevail. It's, that's just this theme that's underneath Acts, and it's particularly, particularly underneath this story. So be thinking about that as, as I read through it. It's a few verses, so uh, I'm reading from the ESV, by the way, if you have a way to check that out. In the Bibles we have in the pew, pews. These aren't pews, are they? Are also the English Standard Version. Okay, Acts 12.1. Okay, go with me here. I'm actually just going to pick this up. I have to print this on large print because I couldn't see it. Otherwise, that's what's happening here. Uh, I'm an old man. About the time Herod the king, about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. This is about, uh, this is about 15 years after the resurrection of Christ. Okay? And he killed James, the brother of John. Now, remember, James is one of the first people to follow Jesus. He was one of the fishermen, James and John. So um, Jesus pulls them from their nets and says, we're going to go do this. We're going to catch men. And he he's puts him to death with the sword. And in Roman times, that mean, meant that they beheaded him. That's what they did. That's what that word means there. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, in other words, he was popular because of it, he proceeded to arrest Peter. He's going after the leaders of the church. And this was during the days of unleavened bread, one of the feasts of the... Um, Israelites. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him. That's four squads is four different groups of four guys. And so they watched him each watch of the night, which was three hours each. And it seems to me probably uh, it hasn't been so long since Jesus was not any longer where he was supposed to be and he was guarded. And so he's going to make sure Peter stays put. But because it's the Feast of Unleavened Bread, he can't put him on trial or put him to death. So that's kind of what's happening here. That's why these things are happening. Intending, after the Passover, to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was being made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. And sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. This miracle takes place. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. And he did not not know that what was being done by the angel was real. But he thought he was seeing a vision. He thought he was dreaming. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading to the city. And it opened on its own accord, and they went out and along the street, and immediately the angel left him. And when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was, whose other name was, John, was Mark. This is John Mark, one of his followers, but not one of the original disciples. Where many had gathered and were praying. And he knocked at the door of the gateway. And a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she didn't open the gate, but ran and reported that Peter was at the gate. 
And they said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting it was so. And they said, it must be an angel. And Peter, you know, they're just putting her off. And Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. And motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, tell these things to James and the brothers. Now that's not the same James. This is James now, James, the brother of Jesus. James has already been put to death. James, the original disciple. Now, when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter, obviously. And Herod, by the way, this is not Herod who we know from the stories of Bethlehem. This is is the second Herod, Herod um, who was the grandson of that Herod. And they kept this tradition in the family. He was extremely powerful, though. Uh, searched for him and did not find him. He was personally involved in this search. He examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. And then he went down to Judea. So you can see, as we read through that, that there is suffering, there is humor. You see the church operating. Uh, But I think as we walk through, and I, I share a couple things with you, you'll see the underlying premise that God is at work and that he will prevail in the end. And, and this is the thing. What I want to do is draw to this story what we talked about last week. And that's what Barnabas says when he goes to this church that's in perse- under persecution. And it's in Acts 11. It's just a few verses back. This is the point today. Be faithful, believers, in God and with God. And be faithful to God in spite of the circumstances that you face. That's what it gets down to today. Be faithful in spite of what we face. Look at how Barnabas says it. When he came and he saw, we got that. This is chapter 11, verse 23. I'll read it to you. When Barnabas came and when he saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with a steadfast purpose or with steadfast hearts. So when I, when I was looking at this, I thought, well, okay, this is what Barnabas is saying, and I think this is what Luke is saying overall in Acts. But the, the question for me is, how am I supposed to do that? How do, you, how do you do it? It's easy for me to say, hey, hang in there. It's going to be okay. But I think there's, there's a lot more behind how this happens. And that's what I want to do today. And I'm going to try to pull out a couple of things from this passage to, sh- to show you that in The direction I want to go is like this. It's about our expectations. Okay? And and I want to bring three expectations to the table that I think we need in order to be faithful to God in all circumstances. One is we need to expect suffering. We just have to expect that there is going to be suffering. We can also expect that in suffering or any circumstance that the church will flourish. Okay, Under any circumstances, the church, which is God's purpose in this world, will flourish. And third, that in the end, God will prevail through all of these things for his purposes. So we can expect all of those things to happen. I just want to go look at those briefly this morning with you. So we can expect that there is going to be a reality of suffering. 
if you notice in this passage, it begins and ends with murder. And the way the scripture, the way this Luke lays it out, he doesn't say anything about it. It's just the book ends. Herod went out, he got James, and he cut his head off. And then Peter was released miraculously, and four guards that were on duty at the end of the, the end of the night before dawn are put to death. It's, it's sort of a uh, uh, matter of fact in, in 12. Look at, at verse tw- chapter 12, verse 1. About that time, Herod laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church, and he killed James with a sword. And if you look down at verses 18 and 19, and when day came, there was no little disturbance when these guys woke up. And after Herod searched and didn't find him, he, he ordered them to be put to death. At the beginning of that, you see that God doesn't even spare James. This is one of Jesus' first disciples. It's one of those guys we read about, one of these amazing followers, you know, that walked with him, slept in the dirt, saw him do all of this stuff throughout his whole ministry lifetime, right? Done. That's it. No comment. I think that's interesting. And the the reason that I do is because it teaches us not only that suffering is real and is not in that it teaches us that believers are not exempt from suffering okay and we need to expect that this is a reality so i had to give you a dose of a downer this morning but we just need to be real there are those who are christians or call themselves christians who have brought to the table of the faith the idea that if you follow God and you do this just right and all this, that everything's going to go great for you and you're going to be happy and you're going to get money or whatever you hear, right? When you hear that, you need to compare that in anything I say to this book, okay? Uh, There is no promise that everything is going to be good. The promise is that God is going to achieve his ends. And in the process, he will bless us but that blessing only makes sense when we understand that we are for his ends. Now, we cannot explain why this happened to James, but God had a reason. We don't know why Stephen was stoned, put to death, but we know that the church migrated out because of it. Regardless of whether we can understand the reason, we need to understand that suffering is a reality. And, and here's the reason for it, y'all. When God made the world and he made us, he gave us a choice because he's that kind of God. And the choice we made was to choose against him. Okay? And that is what, we think that's no big deal. Can't you get over that, God? Because we can't understand the magnitude of sin. But we have a little bit of a glimpse of it here where somebody who followed Jesus, walked with him, is subject to be, being penalized for it. It's that big of a deal. That God al- allows hard things to happen because we have chosen to walk away from him. But that doesn't mean he's not active in our world. Okay? So you're with me. I don't, probably don't need to convince you that there's going to be suffering. I probably could have left this point out. But it is interesting to see that God allowed James to ha- have this happen. And I think we need to be honest, too, as believers, when we see that these four guards are put to death 
because Peter is pulled out. If I was a non-believer, I would say, that's not fair. Okay? I, I hope some of you thought, hey, I don't get it. Why would Peter be allowed to come out, not James, and not these four guards? Why are they put to death for that? And I'm, I'm not going to try to answer that for you. I think you should have to wrestle with that. All of us should. But the bottom line behind that is that suffering is a part of this world and wickedness is a part of this world. And God does not excuse, doesn't relieve us of all of that in this world if we're believers. There is going to be suffering. Okay. Well, uh, we can expect suffering. We'd also expect the church to flourish. Okay, so we're going to lighten it up now, okay? <laughs> a lot, I hope. Barnabas, he, he has it absolutely right. I mean, the church actually flourishes under persecution. He says, hey, tough things are happening, but God's doing something here. This is cool, right? And uh, let, me, let me put it this way. Picture their scenario. You can compare it to ours if you want. No government, no tax, no president, no war, no sickness, no sin, no thing that you've done or anybody else has done, no power in another country, no other religion. Nothing can stand in the way of God doing what he is doing for himself, okay? So if you're all focused on what's all bad, I'm telling you, that's good to know about. But we are citizens of another place, okay? If you're a believer in here. So just bear that in mind because none of that Number one, none of our current society even compares to what was happening in theirs. You are not being put to death. And even if you were, and even if I was, and even where they are, God still will cause his purposes to come to an end, and the church will flourish. So Peter, I mean, Barnabas was right. God is building his church. And I think it's interesting that even in when Luke is... Uh, describing the stuff that's happening in Acts, even in that scenario, there's this humor written into the story. And some of it you guys got, but some of it it's a little bit hard to see. I mean, Peter is a sleeper. Think about this. Angel comes actually into his cell and the bright light comes on. This isn't a night light, okay? This is angel light, right? <laughs> you know, and, and Peter's like, just snoring, sawing lugs. And he's, he's shackled. Now, they didn't make these shackles for comfort, Right? This is Rome, people, or, you know, the Roman Empire. So he's locked in there, tied to two guys. He's sawing logs, and the angel, it says it has, he has to strike him. Like, he has to actually kick him. Like, the, word, the real word there is he really has to hit him to wake him up. This is the day, the night before, even the morning before, he's going to be put to death. He's out. Why is he out? Because he knows, this is the underlying theme. He knows that God will do what God is going to do for his kingdom, for God's, what God is doing, Okay. He's asleep. He's okay with it. Well, so he's asleep. He's, he's sleeping like a sleeper, as I like to say. He is out. Um, but Peter also needs help. If you notice, all the way through the passage, the angel says, okay, Peter, get up. Peter, put on your shoes. Peter, put on your socks. Peter, put on your cloak. Okay, Peter, follow me. And it says, Peter does it. You know, he needs instruction for apparently every step. I guess he's just so out of it. You know, he thinks he's dreaming. And of course, the guards, a part, a part of this process, I guess, is the guards are unaware or they're asleep too. So uh, he, needs, he needs a lot of help. And then he decides he's going to go to Mary's house. Uh, and, that, and it's right before dawn. And he's going to go to this house where he thinks some people might be that can help him. And, and it was a good choice because they were there. 
But he gets outside and, and look at verse 13. He, he knocked at the door at the gate and the servant girl, Rhoda, comes, recognizing his voice. She runs away and she, she leaves him standing at the gate. You can almost see Peter out there because obviously it was a gate she couldn't see over or through. If you've ever been to uh, countries where they have gates and walls around their houses, then you know what I'm talking about. And so she hears his voice. He says, it's me, Peter. And she leaves him out there. And you can just see Peter going, you know, what's going on here? You know, plus he's definitely a wanted man, right? And it's almost dawn. Things are starting to happen in town. And he's, so here's this strangely funny situation. Like you could see it in a, in a TV show, in a comedy, you know, can, can, can. Um, and they, he can hear their conversation. Remember, there are no windows, right? So there must have been some kind of courtyard in the house back there. Finally, they decide to go check the gate again, and he comes in. And, he, he's, and they're so excited, they just can't believe it. They're making all this ruckus. And he's like, oh, shh, 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 you know, be quiet, because we don't want everyone to hear, because the church is now entering that period of persecution. You can just see this kind of unfolding. But here, so these things are happening, but here's how the church has been growing at this time of persecution. No, number one, it's growing counterculturally in diversity. And this is really cool. And it, it doesn't like leap out at you. But it says, Peter decides to go to the house of Mary, who's the father of John Mark. John Mark's a follower who comes along later. His mom has become a believer. So the church is meeting in her home. And it's a large enough home for people to gather in numbers in. Now, in that time, that was a significant sign of wealth. And what that means is the church was, was, mo- the church was moving from uh, fishermen to classes that had influence. You see, the church is growing in different ways. It's beginning to flourish and move out through the ranks of society. But uh, the thing about this large home that they're meeting in is that it's owned by a woman. And no None of the religions and the leaders of the religions would have met, no offense to any of you ladies at all, this is a sad thing, of that culture. They would not have met in the house of a woman. It would not have happened. But the church is meeting in the house of a woman. And that is cool. That is cool. And I don't care what any mistakes were that the church has made or any over time, we need to go back to the scripture and see what the church looked like. Okay? It's meeting in the house of a single woman. We don't know why she's single. It doesn't tell us. But she has the means to host them in her home. And did you notice who was really excited about hearing the voice of Peter, the servant girl? Okay, clearly she still has a status of servant. The church hasn't overcome that. But the servant girl comes back and she is so thrilled out of her mind that Peter's alive that that she can't hardly express it, right? That means she is a part, she is engaged with the church. Unthinkable, unthinkable in the religion of the day any of the religions. They're all ethnically based, nationally based. And this is one that is going out to all ethnicities. Remember, all the nations, women, rich, poor, everybody. This is distinctive. It's cool. And it's, it's right here. So here's one more thing uh, about it. They're, it's almost dawn and they're praying together in fellowship in somebody's house. That's cool. And, I th- and I, just to be honest, I think that's something that as a church, it'll be joyful. I'm not suggesting that we need to stay up all hours of the night praying because I would be asleep by 9.30. You'd be like, wake up, when? Um, But uh, the idea of the church meeting together in homes and gathering together and praying together is clear in the scripture right here, and that's cool. 
And I think that's something we need to consider is, is you're thinking, how am I going to be involved in ministry? How do I bring health and peace and love in the gospel into our neighborhoods? Meeting together in homes and eating together and praying together is, is a great example of the early church. So the church is flourishing in, because of and in spite of persecution. So we can expect there to be suffering. But we can also expect the church to flourish. When bad things happen, we can expect the church to flourish. Minor things in our own community or beyond. All right, and, and finally, uh, the third thing is we can expect God to prevail in all of these things. In the end, this is the underlying theme about what's happening. Uh, uh, I guess one, one of the things, and we've said it a couple of times this morning, is we've referenced this thing called the kingdom of God. God is doing something that is going to result in his kingdom flourishing. Now, if I was to go out and sit at coffee, Steve, right? Sitting at coffee with Steve, and, and I'm talking loudly about the kingdom of God, well, people around me here are going to be like, loony, weirdo, you're weird. The kingdom of God, nobody's in a kingdom, you know? That doesn't happen. Somewhere, someplace, so how, so what I want to do is just spend a moment and talk about what that means that God is bringing his kingdom, because our the things that we talk about as churchy people have to make sense to the people that we're with. And they have to make sense to each other. We can't just use church words. Isn't the kingdom awesome? Yes. <laughs> Nobody knows what you're talking about, you know? But if they saw what, the, what was happening with the church and how they were loving each other, accepting everyone, bringing the good news of hope into this community, they're living out together in the face of all this, then, well, that's a little bit of the kingdom. And that's cool. Okay, so we need to understand when we say kingdom, a couple of things about it. And by the way, Jesus, if you were to look up kingdom of God in your, uh, in your computer or, how, or your Bible, however you want to look it up, you would find Jesus saying a lot about it. And let me show you just two places. Uh, Matthew 6, and these will both be in Matthew 6, uh, verse 33. This is one of my favorite passages. It's so applicable to life. Um, Jesus says, hey, you see everything that everybody else has and you want it. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You will not have, I will provide for you. Seek first my kingdom. Well, what is the kingdom? But then many of you, if you grew up in the church or if you've ever been to uh, any kind of church service, Matthew 6, 9, you'll remember this. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom be here as your kingdom is in heaven. So we're used to talking about kingdom and it becomes this kind of uh, word that we've defined. But what is this, you know, what is a kingdom for people, of the kingdom of God for people that live in 2014? A couple of things about it. When God is bringing his kingdom, there, in a kingdom there is only one person in authority, right? Kingdoms have one person. Not multiple people. It all funnels up to one ruler, one authority above all. That's very important and distinctive about this Christian faith that we're a part of. Kingdom means one ruler. There is a sense of its presence right now. In that, remember in the prayer, Jesus says, uh, your, your kingdom come and your will be done as it is in heaven. That's where the kingdom, where God is not allowing sin to persist. And so, in that place, we have the kingdom. 
things are right. Things are good. Things are holy and reflect the, the lordship of that king. So there is a present sense in which the kingdom exists, but there is also a sense in which the kingdom is uh, being brought to fruition through the church. That is happening in the church. And the best things of the church, the very best things that you've ever experienced in the church, are just a little tiny glimpse of a shadow of the kingdom. Okay? So what God is doing is he is bringing that thing. And you'll see, if you read all the way from the beginning of Scripture, there is always a sense in which the kingdom will come. Bring your kingdom. God, this is what we're praying for. We want to bring as much of it as we can right now because we're your believers in this community and in this world. But we also know that you're bringing this future time when you're going to make, and it says it all through the Scripture, you're going to make all things right. And the suffering is going to end. And the power behind that, y'all, is what Jesus did. We're just in this time before he does that, before he makes things right based on what Jesus did. So, let me, uh, let me I'm about to wrap this up, but let me, let me illustrate it this way. I worked at this church before I came here, a church before I came here for 24 years. And I had the same boss the whole time. And he'd been there for 10 years before me. So he had a lot of longevity, okay? He'd started there when he was like 25 years old. And so uh, all through those years, as I was being brought up and mentored by him, there were a lot of things that he did that made me really mad. And Clara can probably, uh, uh, she remembers those things, right, too. There were times where I thought the best thing we can do is something different than what my boss Bill is doing, right? And we've all been employed by somebody like that, for sure. The thing was, I learned over, it took that long, that truly, Bill was a fallen, messed up guy, but he was after the church to grow, the good of the church. He was after bringing the kingdom the good things of the gospel, the good things of God into this world through the church. That was always where he was looking and he still is looking there even this morning as he speaks there this morning. That's what he is after. And so finally, I was able, when he would make decisions that I didn't agree with and we're gonna go this way and spend a bunch of money on this and do this and hire this person, if I didn't agree, it was okay because I knew what he was about. And I, sub, and I, I was happy to submit to that. And I was submitting to a fallen man. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about submitting to a God that is bringing his kingdom through us if we're believers. And he is, and those things are good, but they're being brought into a suffering world. We can expect suffering. It is going to happen. But we can expect the church to flourish even in spite of that. Because we know that under all of this, and as we read through Acts, that God is doing something much bigger than any of us. And he's bringing us into that. And that's a privilege. And that's who we are. We're just a part of this story. We're going to suffer. Things are going to be hard. But he has something that he's doing. And that is, those are just a couple of ideas for all of us in how we prepare ourselves mentally to be steadfastly faithful to God. Let me pray for us. I'm going to ask Al to come up now and lead us in uh, communion. So, Father, uh, just come to you now. We thank you for loving us, for bringing us where you are bringing us. Lord, help us to submit to that. And Lord, help us to weather the suffering, to find joy and hope in you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.